Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. His goodness is running after me. Boy, that's, uh, I pray this morning that as we sing those words, that they aren't just words, but they're things that our, our hearts and our souls, first of all, desire that God would run after us, that God would pursue us. And indeed he is, and he has, and he will continue to, that it's a desire that we are pursued by him, but also that, that his goodness is running after us and that we desire that. Uh, in our lives. Some of us coming in this morning uh, may have struggled this morning with, with singing worship and, and, and uh, singing praises because maybe right now the goodness of God doesn't seem very present to us in whatever circumstance we're going through, whether it be a relational issue, whether it be a job situation, whether it be health, or whether it be any a number of things in this fallen world. Um, for, for, for you who, who are, was in that place this morning, um, I, I thank God for you that you continued and that you sang anyways. Because we can still sing in the middle of the storm because we know God is going to get us through that. We can always sing and trust that the goodness of God is running after. Amen? Amen? So if you're, if you're with me this morning, I just, just pray that we continue to listen to the voice of God and he will see us through. Uh, the, the darkest valleys, he will always be there to be faithful to us. Well, hey, my name is Matt. I'm usually up here with the team. I'm the associate pastor here and wear a few different hats, but one of which I get to share in leading worship, and that's awesome. But this morning, I'm going to be jumping into the Word of God. But before I do that, if you're here and you're new, sorry, I, I tricked you, Keith. Uh, if you are here and you're like, ah, I've never even met you, Matt. I haven't met Brian. I haven't met any of the staff. I don't know what's going on here in the church. Uh, we would want to invite you, and maybe you've even been here for a few months, maybe a few years. I would hope not. But, uh, and you still don't feel like you quite know what's going on in the church, we are inviting you to come after the service uh, to our iConnect coffee, where we will just share, very casual, there'll be some cookies and coffee and, and water for us to drink, and j- just share, sit down and share our stories of, of how God brought us to this church and what God's doing in and through this church. And we want to get to know you and your story, why you're here this morning and, and who you are. Uh, there won't be 20 questions. It's a very casual time. So come on back right after the service. That will be right out to the left as we, as we end this morning. Well, we've been in the series uh, in the book of Philippians these last uh, couple months. I'd ask you to turn there. We're, we're in Philippians 3, 1 through 11 this morning. We, we've covered a lot of ground so far. And, and you may recall a couple weeks ago I, I was preaching a different passage. And I was talking about how Paul has used the word Christ... The word Christ meaning the Messiah, Christ Jesus our Lord. He's been talking about Christ so many times. And up until uh, chapter 2 in the first couple verses, he has used the word Christ 21 times. This book theme, and, and we covered it in the first chapter where Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so Paul is just so passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've covered a lot of ground, like I said, but we're going to just jump right in here this morning as we continue in this book. Let's read chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. 
It says this, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it's a safe, it's safe for you. Verse 2, Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we, he's Paul saying, for we, you guys and me, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, verse 4, have reason for confidence in the flesh, uh, also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I've circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuting the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him, that I may know Jesus, this Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Lord Jesus, we pause, God. Your word is powerful, Lord. Ah, It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce between the joints and marrow. It can pour between the soul and spirit, Lord. Your word, as it's spoken, it knows the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts this morning, Lord. You know where we are at. So, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we just say, Lord, speak. Uh, May your word be illuminated to us this morning in what you'd have to say. And Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. As we get into this this morning, kind of, kind of a big passage, uh, a lot going on. So you guys are going to have to lift, listen really quickly this morning, okay? So we can get through all this. Some, some of you are just getting that. You guys have to listen quickly, okay? Um, I want to remind us that Paul is writing to believers. And, and real quick, if we go back to the beginning of Philippians, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 6 in the very beginning to remind us who Paul is writing to here. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, okay? So these folks are believers. They've trusted in Christ. Uh, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God in my remembrance of you. So Paul has good memories of these folks, always in my prayer of mine uh, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So these folks are not only saints, they not only believe in the Lord, but they're partnering with Paul as Paul continues to spread the gospel. These guys are on board with him and with Jesus, and they're going on mission. So they're living this lifestyle of mission for the gospel until now, verse 6. And Paul says, and I'm sure of this, Philippians, that he who began a good in work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Look, as you're continuing to run well, as you continue to do this, God's going to keep doing a good work in you as a whole church, but also as individuals in the church until Christ comes again, until that day of Jesus. And so we got these saints in Philippi who are doing a good job. So what's Paul comes to this section and he says this in verse 2. He says, look out, guys, though you're doing well, but, but look out for the dogs. 
Look out for these evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And as a matter of an intro this morning, kind of two questions. Who are these dogs and why should these people look out for them? You know, and, and I, I wasn't going to do this, but it's, it's coming in my head. So it might just come out. You know, are these dogs like, woof, woof, you know, woofing these puppies that are. No, no, they're not talking about real dogs here, obviously. Uh, they're talking about, and, and I want to be brief here because we've got a lot of places to go. But briefly, these people, these dogs were a group of people known as the Judaizers. The Judaizers were a group of Jews who were intentionally going around, basically following the movements of all the the apostles, not just Paul, but also Peter, James. And they're following these guys around. And as new Gentile believers would put their faith in Christ, these Judaizers would step in and say, oh, no, that's not enough. It's not just faith. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow the Old Testament laws. And their big thing was the circumcision thing because that was the, the, the sign in, in their minds of, of what a person of God is, that, that the whole New Testament was all about. And so these guys would be coming around and they were causing mischief. They were causing these new born believers, Gentiles in the Lord that, that had faith in Christ. They were coming after and saying, hey, no, 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 no. That's not the truth. That's not what's it. And so there, being, there was confusion. There was things going on. It was kind of chaotic there for a little while. So briefly, the disciples all get together. And with this, this question, is circumcision part, you know, and, and do we need to keep having these Gentiles follow all of the law? And is this part of salvation? So they had the big, in Acts 15, I'll let you read about it today. Instead of watching football, go at, read Acts chapter 15. It's the Jerusalem council where they actually decide, they had a council about this question of circumcision. Do these Gentiles need to become circumcised in order to be saved? And they come to a conclusion, no, by, for a lot of reasons. I'll let you read about that. Also, Paul wrote the whole book of Galatians. If you have ever read that book, it's, it's coming up against the Judaizers as well. And that saying, hey, Christ has set you free. You don't have to put another's yoke of slavery on. You don't have to follow all of the law in the, the, New Te- in the Old Testament. And Paul writes in, in Galatians basically trumping that argument. Paul also writes a lot in Romans about that same issue. And Paul even goes so far, I wanted to point this out. In Romans, talking about this issue from these Judaizers... Paul even says this to, to, the, to, to the Rome church. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, true circumcision. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the work of the Spirit of God and not by the letter, meaning not by the Old Testament letter of the law. Paul says True identity in Christ, true circumstances, true person of God has the spirit of Christ by faith. It's by grace through faith. So as we get into this passage, what, what Paul is doing here, he's saying, hey guys, you guys remember your identity in Christ. Remember you're running well. Remember it is grace through faith. Remember that it's the simplicity of the gospel. Remember all that stuff that I've been telling you. Remember your identity in Christ. Don't let these dogs come in and steal the truth or confuse you from the truth. And so Paul's telling it, be engaged, guys. It, you, you can't just sit um, on the fence and, and let these Judaizers push you over one way or the other. You guys need to be strong and uh, offensive in clinging and engaging in your identity in Christ. Titled this morning's message as we get in, Engaging Our in Identity in Christ. As followers of Jesus, 
Paul is imploring us as well as this Philippian church to offensively apply and engage in our identity in Christ. As we walk through this passage today, we're going we're to see Paul gives these folks and, and us today some insights that will help us fully engage with our identity in Christ. That's where we're going. That's what Paul was doing here. So first insight we see from Paul, he says it right at the end of verse 3. First insight, to fully engage in our identity in Christ, what first? Well, put no confidence in the flesh, Paul says. Put no confidence in the flesh. Let's read the end of verse 3 through verse 6. He says, put no confidence in the flesh, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Look at my track record. Circumcised on the eighth day, perfectly to the law. Uh, of the people of Israel, I was from the tribe of Benjamin, perfect. A Hebrew of Hebrews, I was actually in the race of the Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, I went through all the Pharisee school and got, got good grades, da, 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 passed. As to zeal, look, I was persecuting the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was keeping it perfectly. I was blameless. Put no confidence in the flesh. Question for us this morning. What kinds of things, and I want, this is audience participation here. As you think about your life, what kinds of things through your life have you put your confidence in? And these can be funny things. These can be just real things because we do it all the time. What kind of things do we put our confidence in? Job? Yeah. Our job status? I heard another one. Money? Sure. Oh, I got this money. I got confidence. What, What else do we put our confidence in? Abilities, yeah, I was a star basketball player, right? Oh, I'm, I'm good at that, so I'm, I'm, I'm good in life. I'm, that's all I need. Happiness, did I hear? Some say, well, what else? Morality, yeah, I'm a good person. I've, I don't cuss. I don't, I've never stolen anything. I'm just, I, I, I work hard and I do well and I'm moral. Got my confidence in that. Government, that, that's a joke and we're not going to go there. Uh, but but that's, that's funny. Thank you for that. Um, so we, we can't blame Paul before he came to know Christ. You know, Paul had this track record of all these things, these things that he, he put his confidence in. And we, the human race, we all do it. We put our confidence in these things that are other than Christ. But Paul says here, to fully engage in your identity in Christ... Don't put any confidence in the flesh. Now, I wanted to, real briefly, we could spend a lot of time talking about the flesh and how it's defined in, in, in the Bible, but I wanted to bring a few definitions that I, I think from some men that, that I trust understand the Word of God and understand what this flesh thing is all about in us. So going down the line here, you guys got them up on the screen. John Calvin, I love John Calvin. He said this about the flesh. Flesh is everything That is outside of Christ. So if Christ is here, this bubble, everything that is outside of Christ is the flesh. Well, David Needham in his book, Birthright, says this. Flesh is everything that a humanness is apart from the new birth. Kind of saying the same thing there. But flesh is everything that humanness is apart from the new birth. A Grace Life ministry conference that we've had here before in the past, they kind of developed a, 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 a long definition of it, but I think it's good for us to consider this morning. 
They say this, the flesh is the condition, be it a mindset, attitude, or strategy of living, where my focus is primarily on myself, my needs in the moment, where I am living out of my own resources, such as my heritage, education, IQ, personality, sense of humor, looks, talents, abilities, etc., in order to cope and deal with my life, in order to solve my problems, in order to meet my own needs, and in order to become a success. So I'm living out of my own resources to do all these things. I really have come down to really loving this definition. When I see the flesh, when it's in this context of, you know, the flesh versus the spirit, uh, Larry Lozer, dear friend of mine, he's actually gone to, to be with the Lord. Uh, he uh, counseled me and mentored me for, for a few years as me and Lauren dated. And he, he, he had this definition of the flesh that I've kind of clung to in my life. He says that, that it's all that I am apart from Christ as I struggle in self-sufficiency. And I want you to just chew on that for a moment. The flesh in us is all that we are apart from Christ. Even if we know Christ and he's in us, but it's still, there's a flesh part in us that's all of us apart from Christ as we struggle with self-sufficiency. As followers of Jesus, we will face situations every day where we have to choose to place, we'll either choose to place our confidence in our flesh, all of me, the stuff, my stuff, or in the stuff of the Spirit, all of Christ. And the Bible says that these two things are at war. That it's not just a neutral like, oh, uh, flesh and spirit. There's a war going on in between these two things. As you hear that, I'm going to read some scripture. I'm just going to fire these off. Uh, So, but just listen to these. Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says this, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other. It's like oil and water to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Romans 8, 5 and 6 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But to the mind... On the spirit is life and peace. Romans 8, 12 and 13 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, by, but if by the spirit you've put to death the deeds of the body, you will live by the spirit. Galatians 6, 8, last one. For, for one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit Will, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And that life isn't just someday in heaven. It's also eternal life starts the day you know Christ as Savior. Paul and his list of accomplishments, his high status, all of his confidence that he used to put his trust in, he knows just means nothing. Put no confidence in the flesh. I ask again this morning, what are we putting our confidence in? What are we putting our confidence in these days? What is it during the day? What, what, is it that, what are our goals that just kind of motivate us to get us up in the morning? What are we putting our confidence in? 
in life today. Paul continues his thought, verse 7 through 9. But whatever gain, all this stuff that I had, my position, my stature, my, my pharisaical position in, in the society, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The second Paul, second insight Paul gives us here to fully engage in our identity in Christ is to treasure Christ above all. To treasure Christ above all. Again, if we, if we back up, and we look at Paul's story. Maybe some of you are like, I don't even know who you're talking about. Who's, who's Paul? Well, Paul had a name change. He used to be called Saul, and he was Saul of Tarsus. When he talked about the Hebrew of Hebrews, the, you know, as to a Pharisee, I was awesome. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. He was talking about in his Judaism, okay, as he grew up, he, was, he, he became a Pharisee. He was all about the law. He was all about that. So as Christ comes on the scene, he was one of these Pharisees that Christ would always be button heads with, right? So Paul's just like, ah, oh, who's this Jesus fellow and what's going on here? And, but Paul is saying all of these things that I counted once as gain— in Acts chapter 9, Paul's going to persecute more Christians. He's riding along on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus Christ comes and meets Paul. Some of you may know this story, but Paul gets blinded. And Jesus is like, hey, why are you persecuting me, Paul or Saul? And he goes, what, Lord, huh? Uh, okay. And so Jesus leads him to meet this meetup with Ananias. And, and Paul becomes saved. Paul trusts Jesus. He, he realizes that Jesus is the Lord. He realizes that Jesus is the way. And so, so in this experience, he realizes that all of these things that he used to thought was gain, he now counts as loss uh, compared to Christ and knowing Christ. I love what... John Piper writes here, he gives a little bit of a word picture to describe Paul's experience. Piper says, before he, before Paul was a Christian, he had a ledger with two columns, one that said gains and another that said losses. On the gain side was all the human glory of verses five and six. And on the lost side was this terrible prospect that this Jesus movement might get out of hand and Jesus prove real and win the day. Well, when he met the living Christ on the Damascus Road, Paul took a big red pencil and he wrote loss in big red letters across his gains column, just loss. And he wrote gain in big letters over the loss column that only had one name, Christ. And it's in that is why Paul can say, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And indeed, I count not, not just, not just these, these law-abiding things as loss, but now he's saying, I count everything as loss in verse 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. 
I remember wrestling with that in college. I remember in, in Bible school as I was going through it. I remember seeing it, and I, and I could tell Paul, he meant it. Paul was a single guy, never, never was married, never had a family, never had any of the American dream that so many of us chase after. And that I, as I got into Bible school, you know, that I'm, I'm kind of like wrestling with this, like, ah, American dream, following Jesus, you know, ah, you know, and it's, and it's not like the two can't be, you know, the Lord can, you know, we can be used in the midst of that. But what's our primary motive? What's our primary push? And I remember wrestling with it, like, Paul, how did you say that you counted everything as rubbish? Literally as dung compared to knowing Christ. And I remember just just praying about that. Lord, I don't have that. I don't get how he could honestly say that. And there's many days even today that I wrestle with that same thing. But Paul knew it. Paul knew what gain he had. I love how he goes on and he says, And be found in Christ, in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through Christ, the righteousness uh, from God that depends on faith. Do we know, I just want to quickly point out, do we realize that when we come to faith in Christ, because Jesus lived a perfect life, he was a perfect example. He lived the law out completely perfectly. That was complete righteousness. When Paul's saying that I don't want my own righteousness, all these things that I had going for me, that what I put my confidence, all my flesh, and da 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 da, you know, my own, I don't want my own righteousness. I want the righteousness that comes from Christ. What he's talking about is Jesus lived a perfect life, and when we receive Christ and his accomplishment on the cross for us and receive him as Lord and Savior of our lives, the word is called imputed. His righteousness, his perfect righteous life is an imputed into us, put into our account, and it is ours. We didn't deserve it. We don't live in it perfectly every day, but it is ours. His righteousness is our righteousness, and that is gain. As I read through some commentaries about this certain part of Scripture, this this gain and loss language here, reminded all these commentaries and they all pointed back to what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, that flesh, all those things that they are apart from me. Let them deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall man give in return for his soul? Question for us. Does our life, the things we buy, the things we do, the relationships we have, the the motives of why we do what we do, do all of these things that we do in life reveal that we treasure Christ above all else? Look back on your week. How'd you live? What'd you do? And again, we don't want to legalistically just be all about behavior, but your behavior does show the temperature check of of where your heart is. Do we treasure Christ above all? Jim Elliott, 
The missionary who died on the mission field said, He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In referring to Christ. Engaging our identity in Christ. Putting no confidence in the flesh. Treasuring Christ above all. A final insight that Paul gives us this morning as we continue is to know Christ more and more. Let's look at verse 10. To know Christ more and more. Verse 10 says this. You know, after Paul gets done talking about the gains that he has in Christ and that this righteousness of Christ that depends on faith, verse 10, that I may know him, Christ, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. To know Christ more and more. Now, what's really interesting, and and I've always known this about this passage, but as I dug into it a little deeper this week, and knowing, you know, going to be preaching on it, I came to know something that I actually didn't realize before. In this section of Scripture, we need to understand that Paul is so very clearly trying to communicate something about this knowing Christ. He's He's trying to say something very clear about what it means to know him and what that's referring to. In the Greek language, Paul had a choice of several different words that could mean to know, that that English translates to know. So he he literally had a choice. He had a pick of different words to use. And he uses them differently in different different parts of Scripture. We're not going to go into the different ways he uses these different words. But I just want to point out the fact that he had these different words to use. He could have used this word, I always wanted to say Yoda, but Iota which means to comprehend mentally. So just a mental cognitive thought of, he could have used that, and he he does use that in 1 Thessalonians. Um, He could have used the word epistemi, which means to know by acquaintance or by familiarity or by a a contact. Like, so do you just kind of know someone by acquaintance? It's this there. He could have used another Greek word, uh, sunemi, referring to a knowledge based on deep insights and, and kind of logical analysis of facts. So, so, you know, there's some of us in here that kind of function in that way a lot. Like, well, we want to know everything and in the ins and outs and all the angles to it and, and kind of think deeply and logically about it. He could have used that. But listen, out of all of these options, Paul chose to use this word gnosko. And you see it on the screen, which means to personally experience in union and in connection. I want to point that out very clear. That was very revealing to me. I'm like, I didn't realize he could have used all these different words. He chose out of the variety of words to use this one to say this about knowing Christ. Personal experience in the union, in the connection that we have. Paul is so clearly admonishing us and, and, and beckoning us because he, he has experienced Christ in these ways. But Paul's saying, guys, to personally experience the union and connection that we have in the power of Christ's resurrection. 
to personally experience the union and connection that we have in sharing in Christ's sufferings. To personally experience the union and connection that we have in becoming like Christ in his death. I'm just going to let those sit there for a moment. What, what does it mean for this, this personal experience in the power of his resurrection? A commentator said this. He said, Paul is not thinking only of the divine power that raised Christ from the dead, though he is referring to that power that raised Christ from the dead, sure. But mainly Paul's emphasis of the power of the resurrected Christ that's now operating in the believer's life. This power that enables believers to live in a new life because they've been raised with Christ. So as we think about personally experiencing the power of his resurrection, it's this daily understanding and a knowing the power of Christ dwells in me by his Holy Spirit. And do we experience that in the struggles that we're having? in the the place in life that we find ourselves, do we understand that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world? The power of the resurrected Christ is in us. And whatever struggle we're going through, whatever things that are coming and going and whatever storms are about to come, there is power to walk us through that and to get us through that and to get us over that. To personally experience the union and connection that we have in sharing in his sufferings knowing that we don't have a great high priest, Jesus, who can't sympathize with us. He was tempted in every way. He felt pain in every way, both emotional and physical. He understands grief. He understands what it feels like to be, to feel like you're separated from God in some way. He he literally was separated from God the Father in that moment when he bore the sin of the world to share in his sufferings. What does it look like for us to walk through our own sufferings in that we're relating it, we're relating to Christ. Christ, you you went through this. Lord, be with me in this. And to know that through this, you're producing endurance, you're producing character, you're producing hope. And hope doesn't disappoint, Lord, because your spirit's pouring your love into my heart more and more. What does it mean for us to personally share in his sufferings? To personally become like him in his death. If you remember a few weeks back, we had, we covered Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And it says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As you think of Jesus in his death, and even in the process of going to his death, you remember Jesus in the garden? He was praying, he was sweating driplets of blood. He was so 
despairing. He was so scared. I believe he was in some ways scared. Even though he was fully God, he knew what was going to happen, that he was going to be raised. But as fully human, he was scared. He was, Lord, and he goes, Lord, let this cup pass from me. If at all possible, I'm, I'm, Father, let this cup pass from me. But then he says, but not my will, but your will be done. And I believe as Jesus said that, that, that was, that, that was him dying to himself. That was him becoming humbled and obedient unto death. Not my will, but yours, God, be done. There's a death that occurs as we live in humble obedience to our God. Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if this grain of wheat dies, goes to the ground and dies, goes into the ground, it bears much fruit. And then he says, whoever loses his life, or whoever, sorry, then he says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Kind of echoing what Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will remain alone. But if it dies, it goes into the ground and it produces fruit. Question for us. Grain of wheat, it's got that hard shell, right? As it goes into the ground, in that death, that hard shell gets put away into the ground. It just kind of goes away. That allows the ground and the nutrients to grow the fruit. But it takes the death. It takes a death. And I don't know what the Lord may be speaking to your hearts this morning, but I believe God in his mercy and in his kindness to us calls us to share, to, to, experience him personally in our own death, not physical death, but this dying to ourself that we might live fully to him and be filled fully with him. I don't know what that means for you in your own unique circumstances in life and what you're facing right now, but Jesus has called us to joyfully die (laughs) that we might receive all of him. And to know him more. I'd like to invite the worship team back up as we respond this morning. Fully engaging in our identity in Christ. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, you have been made new. You are a new creation. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have... All things that pertain to life and godliness in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's encouraging us to fully engage in that and fully engage in our identity in Christ. Putting no confidence in the flesh, treasuring Christ above all, 
And I think most importantly, possibly, because I think these other two will flow out of this last one, to know Christ. What does it look like for you to be walking in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ this morning? Maybe you did years ago, and maybe you've lost that personal relationship, that personal walk with Christ. He loves you. He wants to know you more this morning. He wants you to experience him more and more. Let's, let's stand, and let's just respond in song as we sing about these things that we're talking about.